Welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups Fallowfield and Mason. As part of the How to Start Up mini-series, I wanted to cover more practical advice around things like accounting, legal, HR, a sort of I don't know what I don't know. I wanted to speak to Will Davies, who is the co-founder of HBD Partners again, as he not only works in recruitment, but has also brought people into his business on PAYE. A lot of people in previous episodes have talked about how bringing talent into their businesses has been a complete game changer, not only for revenue, but for their morale as well. And as I'm now at a stage of wanting to employ someone, I realise, as usual, I have a lot of questions around where to start with this. Will offers practical steps on how to tackle this very important area of starting a company. Thanks, Will, for your time today. Again, it's great to have you back to talk about all things recruitment and HR. It'd be great if you could give a brief introduction as to who you are and a bit about your background. Of course. Thanks, Juliet. Uh, My name is Will Davis. I'm a director at hospitality recruitment firm HBD Partners. Uh, We started the business four years ago. Prior to that, I'd worked in recruitment for 12 years and recruitment and hospitality. And then 10 years prior to that, I'd worked in hospitality. So you are an expert in all things, bringing people into the business and finding other people, people for their businesses. And I believe you've also recruited for your own business. So you are very well placed to talk about this subject. Yeah, absolutely. At what stage of, and given this is a bit of a mini series about we don't know what we don't know, when you're thinking about growing your business and bringing talent into your team at what stage of the business should we start to plan to recruit someone well I don't think there's a right or wrong time to recruit someone it all depends on your business and also what those people you want to bring into your business will be doing and and how and when they'll add value but one thing that my business partner and I thought about was we wanted to make sure we had around six months worth of that person's salary in the bank ready to pay them Um, so we need to make sure we could afford them first of all and also, you know, we need to make sure there was actual work for them to do. Was our business off the ground yet? Was there enough work for not just me and my business partner, but also another person as well, or potential business for them to go out and find? That's a really good point, actually, of just having that comfort blanket of knowing that you can salary them for at least six months. So the pipeline, the budget pipeline should be minimum of six months. Yeah, that, that's the kind of figure that we came up with. We worked with our accountant on that as well and a HR um, consultant that um, I'll come on to talk about a bit later. But we just wanted to make sure that we weren't going to put ourselves in financial risk. And especially because we're a sales-led business in recruitment, you know, we we need to take on someone who would go out there and sell and find potential business to work on and find positions to fill. So we need to make sure that if that, we took that person on and it took them a while to ramp up and start getting business on that we could still afford them. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And what is your perspective on consultants and contractors versus somebody on PAYE? Are there pros and cons to both? Yeah, I think there's definitely pros and cons to working with contractors as well as PAYE staff. And those benefits are depending on your business model, how they'll be paid, how engaged you want them to be in your business. Um, you know, do you need them to be in your business full time? Contractors or consultants offer great flexibility, especially if you only need them for a short term project or if there's only enough work for them, say, for a couple of days a week. 
Um, and also working with a contractor or a consultant, you know, you don't have the rigmarole of onboarding and HR processes and, you know, signing up their national insurance and pension contributions. But don't forget that consultants will often be working on other projects. If you've only got them two days a week, they'll be working three days a week somewhere else. So they're always going to be focused on your business and they might not be around at your beck and call when you need them. And consultants are often more expensive relative to a permanent employee who you take on board. So you need to take that into account. Um, but they're a great way of obtaining some strong expertise into your business on a more flexible basis. So you could take on a consultant who would add a lot more value in a shorter space of time than taking on someone that you might need to train up and develop. And often that expertise is often useful at the beginning when you're starting up. Yeah, that really helps. Is there anything you can think of that people recruiting for the first time might not realise they have to consider? That was a massive learning curve for us in terms of taking on people for our business. When we were ready to start hiring our first person, I think the, the key thing that we agreed on that we had to take the time to find the right person. Um, we didn't want to, you know, take somebody on and fail or not, you know, take on someone and quickly and, and have them fail. We We spent a lot of time kind of outlining what that person looked like um you know the first person to your business could make or break your business so we spent valuable time outlining what we wanted what we needed in terms of experience but also their personality fit their character their drive and how they would fit with our culture and our organization before we even started the recruitment process we created a vision and a mission and a values for our business so we wrote an employee handbook contract offer letter we nailed on all the hr aspects and we really identified what our culture was going to be so then when we started looking for somebody we had a fair idea of what that person would look like. It helped us define our business as well, which is good. And it was instrumental in attracting candidates to our business. You know, we were able to go out and talk to people about who we were. You know, we're a new business. You know, we weren't attracting people to our business. We had to go out and sell our business to people in terms of what we could offer, what we were doing and where we wanted to position ourselves. So, you know, it's a big step for us to take on someone, but it's also a big step for someone to come and trust us and want to join our business as the first employee. Yeah, that's so true. I had a bit of a moment last week. I had somebody send me their CV and ask if there are any roles within the business. I was like, oh my God, they recognize me as a proper business. And it kind of really took me aback because I was just like, wow, that's really exciting. But that's great. That's testament to your brand and your culture and people, you know, being an aspirational company to work for. And that's what we're aiming to be. And is there a tick list of things to consider when bringing someone in? From a HR point of view, there are definitely criteria that need to be ticked off and rules and regulations that you need to satisfy. But also in terms of experience and culture and brand fit. I think one thing I learned through 12, 15 years of recruitment now is when you're interviewing someone, it's so easy to be swayed by someone's personality. You know, and I've seen a lot of examples where people are hired just because that person interviewing them likes them we didn't want to fall into that trap yes we wanted someone that we liked and we got on with but we really had to focus on the skills and the experience and their drive as well as as much as their personality one thing to think about is whether you want someone with experience or whether you're prepared to train somebody up and you know if that's the case then maybe the attitude and personality is more important than their skills. But if you need someone who's got the skills already, you need to focus on that. HR considerations to remember, you know, the key one is their eligibility to work in the UK. You know, since we've left the EU now, it's really important that anyone coming from outside the UK needs to have either a British passport, a current valid working visa, or has settled status. Either they may have gone back to Europe and but have the eligibility to come back. So checking passport and visa documents is vital. And a good place to get support on that is the .gov website. There's a whole host of information there on what to look out for. Other checklists that we considered was location. You know, where are these people living? Can they get to the office easily? Are they able to get around London or travel easily, depending on where, you know, people are starting up? Because there's nothing worse than taking on someone who lives an hour and a half away. They're really excited about the role. But then six weeks down the line, they turn around and say, actually, the commute's too much. Um, think about their notice period. 
you know, if they're on a three months notice period, can you afford to wait three months for them? Um, do they have a hands off clause in their current contract if it's a sales or business development role? Think about if you want someone to hit the ground running and they can't talk to the clients they've previously worked with, that's going to have an impact as well. And also getting references. I think they're incredibly useful. And with references, I've had different employers tell me different things, but can you ask a previous employer for a character reference or is it just a date check? Um, no, you can ask an employer for a character reference. What what we do is we have three or four questions that we send out to the previous employer. So we'll obviously get that candidate's agreement. They give us their referees so who we can approach and we'll send them a form to fill in, you know, just three or four questions on their on their previous performance. It's the it's that employer who you're contacting they may have a policy that only provide dates. If that's the case, then that's all they're legally obliged to give. Is there a tick list of things to do when bringing someone into the business? Yeah, absolutely. We've touched on the HR implications. So as I mentioned, you know, we wrote a contract, we wrote an offer letter, we wrote an employee handbook. So we had all that kind of resource to provide somebody when they started, which was a massive help for them to get to know our business and what the expectations were, certainly with a contract, you know, outlining things like the hours of work and breaks and stuff like that. That's all contractual. And it just helps that employee know what's expected of them when the framework and the parameters in which they work. You'll also need to think about building a HR file to include all their signed contracts, right to work checks, working time directive, you need to opt in or out, GDPR statement, you need to collect their bank details so you can pay them. And then finally, when bringing someone into the business, we wanted to make sure that we had everything prepared for them in terms of their equipment, so laptop, desk, screen, chair, stationery, business cards, and access to all the systems they'd be using. Um, because there's nothing worse than someone coming into the business and sitting there twiddling their thumbs because their laptop hasn't arrived. And we didn't want to be that kind of employer. So we just had to make sure that that was all in place to give them the, kind of the best impression when they started. Yeah. Start as you mean to go on with your brand impression. How much would you budget on top of someone's base salary for a candidate? So fees and pension tax? Well, this is, I mean, it all depends on where you find the person, obviously how much you pay them. Um, the key things to remember are national insurance and um, uh, any pension contributions so current employer national insurance contribution is 13 percent of salary and then the government contribution for pensions you need to match at three percent so there's an extra 16 percent of the salary straight away if you find somebody through a recruitment consultancy then that you're gonna to have to pay that fee as well although that's one off fee um and other than that, if they're in a business development role and you want to incentivize them, so if you're paying them commission or bonuses, you need to factor that in as well. But obviously, if, if you're paying them commission bonuses based on hitting targets, then that's kind of self-fulfilling in terms of bringing that money in anyway. Perfect. And what are the legalities around recruiting a full-time person? Okay. So going back to the HR aspects, legalities include the right to work check, which is key, which is basically seeing their physical passport making a copy of it and writing on the passport that you've seen it is quite a distinct criteria on the .gov website to show you how to do that properly. But what we did as well as a business is take out employer's liability insurance, make sure that you know they're protected and you're protected as business. And it's also worth considering taking out professional indemnity insurance, which will protect you and the business in case a client tries to sue you or if you or an employee does something wrong. 
So that's about more about protecting the business. If you're hiring from a competitor, it's always worth checking that they have a non-compete or hands-off clause in their current contract. Obviously, that might prevent them from talking to clients for several weeks or months, which will be an issue if you want them to hit down the running. We had somebody's non-compete clause checked by our employment lawyer just to check how valid it was. And they gave us a steer on whether you should follow it or not. So they were very helpful with that. Amazing. So, I mean, there is a tick list, but it's a practical one. And step by step, as long as you follow the right steps, you're completely protected. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as I said, the .gov website has a whole section on you know, employing people and, and right-to-work checks and eligibility to work in the UK. And it's fascinating, and it, but it's something that you absolutely must do. And how much time would you say it takes to bring somebody on board? It probably varies depending on their notice periods, but is it a process that you would recommend not rushing? Absolutely, I think is the key approach is to take the time to find the right person, especially if it's the first person to your business, because they'll make a big difference. And also, if you get that right, get that first person right, it just gives you confidence then in knowing how to do it. Find the right person and do it all properly and make sure you tick all the boxes. And then when you go and hire your second, third, fourth person, you just go through the same template. So taking your time to find the right person both, you know, in terms of getting all the criteria right, but equally finding the right person who's going to add value to your business. I think that's 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 really key. I mean, the right person might pop up fairly quickly once you start looking, or it could take weeks or months to find the right person. But you will know if you have your kind of criteria set out of, of what you're looking for, then that, you, you know, you should use that to guide you. I mean, there may come a point where you think, actually, do you know what, I, I just need somebody because there'll be a cutoff point where not having someone is going to be more detrimental to the business than having somebody. So eventually, you know, there may be a cutoff point where you need to take someone on. So then some of those criteria that you've set up might, you know, they may fall by the wayside, some of them. But definitely, if you can, take time and then go after them. And is there any advice on how to outsource that work, given that you're an expert in your field? you might not be an expert in recruiting somebody or HR policy. Well, we worked with a HR consultant called Your Invisible Partner and uh, Shona Rai, who's one of their directors. And they were instrumental in, in providing support for us in terms of knowing what to do, when to do it. She helped us write our employee handbook. We were really daunted about writing a whole employee handbook document, but she helped us put that together and also helped us define our culture and our tone of voice as a company, which ultimately then attracted people to come and work for us because we wanted to be more a little bit more progressive a bit more conversational in our approach you know we didn't want to be stiff and formal and conservative and she helped us define that as well which is really useful but for a small business to grow I think working with somebody who you know who's a specialist in that field will definitely add value can't recommend it enough why would you use a recruiter rather than doing it yourself or directly on LinkedIn right this is a this is an interesting one for me so there are definitely pros and cons for both LinkedIn is a great way of finding talent online. However, the danger is if you start approaching potential candidates on LinkedIn, you have no way of vetting them before you approach them. And sometimes job titles on LinkedIn can be misleading. My advice would be to research those people as much as you can before you approach them. You know, using a recruiter can be more expensive. However, you will get vetted candidates. You know, you can give that recruiter your criteria and they will screen them based on the brief that you've provided. And also they'll be able to manage that candidate's expectations. In both cases, these solutions work best when you're looking for a specific skill set and experience. If you've got broader criteria and you could take someone from you know, any field, you might want to consider advertising the role, you know, either in print or online, if you want to get a broad spectrum of candidates from different backgrounds. So there's kind of three ways of looking at it, really, working with a recruiter, advertising it, or going after people on LinkedIn if you're looking for specific people with specific skill sets. 
what stage of your startup do you need to consider your company handbook or your culture or your manifesto? It's a looping back to what I mentioned earlier. You know, we decided to get those elements of our business down straight away. So employee handbook, an offer letter, a contract was was essential. Um, and all the documents that we wanted to give to a new starter, we, we did that even before we started looking for somebody. And we had them because we wanted to, we wanted them to reflect our culture and embed that in the business, first of all. So just by taking the time to sit down and write a company handbook and outline our business culture, our values, you know, that helped us define what our business was and what our culture was. So we had that down before we even started looking for someone. Do you think the pandemic has changed office structures forever now? And can you truly have a remote office or do you still need that FaceTime? I think that the pandemic has certainly changed people's attitude to home working. I think some people who previously didn't like it have got used to it. And I think other people who wanted to do a lot more of it realise that it's not all it's cracked up to be. Although I suspect once the pandemic is over, a majority of workers will want to come back to an office environment probably three days a week. I think people miss the social interactions and having a set routine. And also those with families, you know, some time away from the home, kids, partners, and these four walls. The, the remote working, working from home model depends on the nature of a business. You know, there are going to be some businesses that it just won't work. Um, and what that person will be doing. If they're salespeople, need to meet clients, they'll need to be able to travel. And if they're part of a team and you want them to work collaboratively, then, you know, you might need to think that, you might think that you need them working together, you know, in, in an office. You know, onboarding new people into your business is vastly more effective when it's done together in an office rather than over a video screen. But I think a mix of, of homeworking and office space is a great compromise. I think questions about expectations of homeworking need to be brought up at interview stage. As you know, depending on who you're interviewing, think about, you know, what their expectations might be. More mature candidates might prefer to work in an office, whereas millennials might want to work more from home. But as you said before, trust is the key factor. You know, if you're a startup with a small team and you have someone working from home the majority of the time, you know, you need to establish clear goals, targets and expectations so they know the parameters and they know what's expected of them. So you have peace of mind that they're actually working from home. But certainly with a startup, I mean, I think we had people in the office four days a week because we wanted them to get to know each other, become a cohesive team and collaborate before we then sent them off and said, fine, you can work a couple more days from home. Is there any advice that you may have for people if people are working remotely at the moment? Well, our small team has been working remotely for some of the pandemic and they've been on furlough for some. While working from home, we had regular catch-ups with them every week to, you know, track their progress, to outline, you know, give uh, what's expected of them to give them clear direction as well as goals and targets. We didn't micromanage them as we wanted to treat them as adults, let them do their own work in their own time with broad set parameters. And even on furlough, we've maintained fortnightly online catch-ups just to keep them engaged in the business and keep them up to date with what myself and Mark have been doing. Yeah, that's really important because you spend so, again, so much time with your colleagues. You want, you're curious, you want to be in touch. And then the, the final and fun question I put in here was, given that I'm mapping out what I'd like to be able to offer a candidate, and I've had some previous roles where some of the benefits that came with the contract were incredible and super exciting. So I wanted to ask from your experience, what are the particularly fun perks that you've seen companies offer the candidates you've helped them recruit or even that you've offered your teams? One thing that we we offer at HBD are two duvet days per year, which has gone down really well with our team. Um, so it's two days where one one day every six months where they can just ring up in the morning, say, I've got nothing on, I'm not coming in. You know, no questions asked. And we give them their birthday off as well, which they really appreciate. So that's the one day in the week of their birthday you know our people are our greatest asset and we really want to look after them and make sure that they feel valued and an integral part of the business and it's often the most successful perks are the ones that are quite personalized so 
you know, we, the pandemic's kind of thrown this for us for the time being. But one thing we want to do is to make sure that we really find out what our guys like and what they're into, and what their interests are, what their hobbies are, what they enjoy doing in their spare time. So we can personalize any kind of incentives or perks that we offer them. Because I think small personalized things can often go a long way in making that employee feel appreciated. Completely. Thank you, Will. That was fantastic. I feel like I've got a really incredible to-do list now. So I really appreciate all of your advice and intel. Julia, great to chat to you and, you know, always happy to help out and share my knowledge and experience. Thanks, Will. As much as there is a lengthy to-do list, I'm now reassured that if I follow the steps that Will has so kindly outlined, I'll be doing the right thing by my future team as well as by my business. If you'd like to contact Will, you can find all of his details in the show notes along with a recap of the advice he so kindly shared. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.